morning. Um, to continue on, uh, we're going to continue uh, looking at the um, group of psalms that are called the Egyptian Halal. Uh, and so that's another word for the Egyptian praise. Uh, they begin at verse or, um, Psalm 113 and all the way to Psalm 118. So we're at 116 now, so you can turn to Psalm 116, if you will, please. So just as a quick recap, so so far where we've been, uh, Psalm 113 is a call to praise, uh, for the people to praise, um, always, in every place, um, and they're praising the Lord because of who He is. He's transcendent. He's above all. He is uh, um, sovereign and all-powerful, all-knowing, and then also because He is not just a transcendent and thereby removed and uh, separate from us, but because his heart is for the poor, for those who are uh, perhaps despondent. And so he also wants to elevate those who are perhaps downcast of society, which is all of us in our depravity as sinners. Uh, God chooses and, and longs to, um, to lift us up and elevate us, to make us significant, um, Psalm 114 is also then, this is where we get the, the phrase, the Egyptian halal, because this specifically speaks about God calling out the children of Israel from uh, Egypt, and it recounts uh, how he did this uh, through the sea and um, through the plagues. And um, also, not just, though, that uh, he called them out of bondage, but that he made them a nation at that time. He gave them a purpose. He put his stamp, in a sense, on them and said, you are mine. And then there's this call to be transformed. We read in the last couple, the last verse, he turned the rock into standing waters. He took rock, um, completely useless for nutrition, and he made it into something living and vital for life. Uh, and so he, there's the allusion there, or, or the reference there, to taking the lifeless and making it full of life. And it's necess, uh, necessity of life. So that's Psalm 114, the calling out and that transformation and, and calling to a purpose. Psalm 115, which is what, the one we looked at last, was now the people of Israel remembering... The times when they fell from the Lord, you know, they are called out, they're called to worship the Lord and to worship and trust in only Him. And there's a, a remembrance uh, after the captivity of Babylon, how they turn, had turned to other gods, but they've repented now. And now they trust in the Lord and they do not turn to idols because those who turn to the idols eventually become like the idols. A big warning in Psalm 115 that what we worship, we become. And, and so the the psalmist is saying, worship God, trust God, and, and then also become like God, be transformed to become more like the image of the Son, uh, one who uh, has, uh, speaks life, one who sees the, the brokenhearted and the downtrodden, the one who hears the cry of the poor, and so on. So that was Psalm 115. Uh, speaking of the corporate, um, it was referring to the corporate Israel and their fall, from uh, uh, from serving God and, and turning to idols, and that was part of their history. But then also how God rescued them and how God uh, brought them back from that. So a spiritual uh, rescue. And so today we're talking, the psalmist is describing a personal rescue, but a, not a rescue necessarily from the spiritual, 
um, it, like the, the heart of worship, but a, a rescue from a very real um, tragedy or, or from real circumstances. So let's turn to Psalm 116 and begin. It says, verse 1, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell gat hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. He was brought, I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy, re, unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from thy, from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. So that we begin, the psalmist begins verses 1 and 2, this recognition, this, this praise of God. I love you. Because thou hast heard my voice and my, my supplications, my prayers. So the psalmist is, is, is giving it in a sense like this, uh, statement, this, uh, helping us to understand where does this love come from, from the psalmist that he has towards the Lord. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live, it says. So here we see the, the, the heart of the psalmist having that honest, um, conversation with itself in a sense or or that natural outflowing of considering who God is and seeing what he has done and and, in the character of God so this it's a true looking and seeing God for who he is and the natural conclusion is I love you I love the Lord and and oftentimes you know if we in our lives uh, you know are struggling with perhaps um the the faith that we may have or the love that we have. And, you know, we, 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 how, how many times have you said, oh, I know I should do this more. Maybe we need to get back into the scriptures in a more intense level, in a more uh, a deliberate, intentional way to know who God is. Because this is exactly what the, where this love for the Lord stems from. If you, if you don't love the Lord, it's because you don't know the Lord. If you don't know, uh, love the Lord, it's because we haven't considered who He is. And we haven't had that honest conversation looking at our lives and saying, this, who I am is all because of what God has done. It's not, we need to, to recognize who he is. We saw that in Psalm 113, this transcendent God above all things, uh, above all of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence just by the words. And that God there is the one who heard my voice and my prayers. 
It says, in fact, in verse 2, because he hath inclined his ear. We don't use that word often, but that's a verb. It's the Hebrew word natah, and it means to bend, to turn. And imagine now, as a father or as a mother, you have a little one comes up to you and starts talking to you. So picture this, the father, the mother, who's not really into, you know, I don't, I don't care, don't bother me, you know, kids to be seen and not heard. That's the person who would not bother to stop and look and say, what is it? But the one who wants to know, the one who cares about their little one, the one who earnestly, you know, values this person, this little one, what are they going to do? They're going to turn. They're going to bend down. They're going to say, what is that? Maybe they're going to pick them up and they're going to look at them and they're going to say, I want to know what you, what you think. I want to know who you are, what your heart is. This is what we see here in this verse. He, because he hath inclined his ear. Now that's a father to a child, right? How about the God above all things wants to hear what you have to say, wants to hear your cry, wants to, to bend low and say, what is it, my precious? What is it that that's so hurtful to you? What is it that you're trying to say to me? And it's because of that, because of that truth, that reality, the psalmist says, therefore, because of this, I will call upon him as long as I live. Because I know he wants to hear what I have to say. I know that he listens to me and his heart is tuned and turned towards me. The psalmist then goes on to say, um, in verses 3 and 4, what was the problem? Now, we don't actually know exactly what the nature of the problem was. Was it uh, a, a physical illness or was it um, enemies uh, you know, bearing down on them, surrounding, so on? We don't know this, but we, we know what he says. The sorrows of death come past me. It was like the snares or the cords. They're all around me. They're wrapping around me. And the pains of hell get hold upon me. The anguish, you know, the, the fear, the, the worry of hell or, or of, of that isolation, that separation, it, it, uh, it got a hold on me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Why did he do this? Because he knows that the heart of God says, I want to hear what you have to say. Your pain is important to me. Then the psalmist in verses 5 and 6, he, he, um, he praises God by explaining or, or like uh, describing who he is. Gracious is the Lord and righteous or just. Yea, our God is merciful. This is not the cold, detached um, tyrant of the universe. This is uh, a God who is caring and loving and very much wants to know. The Lord preserveth the simple. So the simple in this case uh, is uh, a silly person, one easily persuaded and enticed. So we get ourselves into trouble, right? How many times have I gotten myself into trouble by silly, silly things that I've done? And yet God still preserves me. He still goes. I was brought low and he helped me, it says. He still bails me out in a sense. Even though so often I'm the author of my own foolishness, I could so easily uh, stop, you know, and yet because of my simple-mindedness or my, my silliness, I'm easily persuaded and enticed. God has given us the means to overcome temptation, and yet we so often don't avail ourselves of that. We're silly, we're simple, and yet He helps us. 
Then verse 7, the psalmist says to himself, return unto thy rest, be at rest. You, you know, you go through this, this list and, and you could beat yourself up, right? The, I'm such a simpleton, I'm so silly. And, and oftentimes, and I, I gotta watch because this oftentimes is a feeling that I have. I, I, I take it very, uh, I, I, I degrade myself then. And you're so dumb. Why do you do that? And, and the psalmist says here, Return unto the re- thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. Be at rest. Don't stress. Don't, uh, don't worry about this, this treadmill of, of value that the world would impose on us, perhaps, or this, this idea that, oh, I brought it upon myself, so I've got to live with it now. There's a certain element to that. Sometimes the consequences we can't be free of, but yet the condemnation, the Lord is gracious and He's righteous, He's just, and He's merciful. Even though I'm silly, be at rest because we have a God who wants our wholeness, who wants to preserve and to, to um, fix, in a sense. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. In verse 8 it says, this is what, how the Lord delivers us. Our, our souls from death, um, our eyes from tears, the, the sorrow that would just rack our, our conscience or our hearts, uh, and my feet from falling, that, that, that clumsiness that I personally, I, I, stu- I struggle with, the clumsiness, the stumbling, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. What a, what a beautiful um, uh, picture this is. I will, I will walk in the sight of God. Even though, even though I'm a silly person. Even though that I deserve the trouble that, that comes into my life. Yet, uh, because of who God is and his heart, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. It says in verse 10, I believed. And I think I want to say this is a critical verse, people. This is a critical verse. And if we remember one verse in, in Psalm 116, we need to remember this one. It says, I believed. Therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. Paul, or the psalmist here, Paul quotes this in, uh, first Corinthians, second Corinthians chapter four. And we'll look at that briefly. But here the psalmist is saying, I believed. I believed. Therefore, have I spoken? Therefore, am I able to be uh, to look at all of these things on my life, all of these tragedies, all of these 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 snares that are trying to grip on me, trying to tear apart, tear me apart. We have an enemy, and that enemy is trying to destroy us, to to bring uh, shame to God. And even though all of that is true, even though I am, I was greatly afflicted. I believed. And I'm able to then point to God, and I'm able to appeal to God, and I'm able to speak to Him, and He hears me, and I can call out to the Lord, and I'm delivered. This is so important because it gives us the basis, and this is the application for all of us too. It is through faith. Let's look at the Second Corinthians. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, starting at verse 18, or verse 8. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We are troubled on every side, 
yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So Paul is talking about this, the, uh, a conflict or, or like what would be almost like contradictions that we're, we're delivered unto to death, but that the life of Jesus be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So there's, there's a, a, a twisting, right? Culture would say, oh, no, no, all these things are terrible, troubled on every side, we're, but we're not distressed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We don't understand, but we still, we have this hope. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. These are opposites. And the world will look at that, and their response would be that we are troubled on every side, and we are distressed. Look at the world about us now. Do you see a world that is not distressed? Oh no, I see a world that is in turmoil. Persecuted, and we feel hopeless? No, we, we are not forsaken. And yet, when the persecution comes, so many people despair. So many people then say it's not worth it and end it. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. Everything about us could be completely collapsed. And yet, we have that hope. We, have, we, we know that we are special to the God in heaven. We know that we are not destroyed. So this is what Paul is starting with, right? And for we believe, um, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have the same spirit according as it is written. So now here he's quoting the psalm that we're looking at, Psalm 116. I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Even as I believe, I can speak. Even though it seems contradictory, my faith says and informs me of the truth. And even though as the psalmist looks back and he, he looks, recounts, the sorrows of death come past me and the pains of hell get hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. He knew what to do. Why? Because God in heaven is not without resources. The God in heaven is the one to turn to. And I believe in him. And I know his heart towards me. And that's why I turn to him. That's why I call upon him. That's why I love him so much. Because I can call upon him. And I know that he will hear. I said in my haste, verse 11, all men are liars. And here the psalmist is recognizing everything else. All other solutions. Whether it be materialism, Marxism, uh, Legalism, whatever ism, whatever is offered as an alternative to believing in God and trusting in God, it's all lies. So then the psalmist in verse 12 changes and he says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits? So he just speaks of you know, how good God is and, and his trust in God and, and the faith that he has and then he asks a question, how do I respond to this now? What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious 
Well, let's leave it at verse 14 right there. We won't get into 15 quite yet. But here the psalmist is saying and referring back to um, the, and interestingly enough, in the great halal or the um, the Passover feast, this psalm would have been written or uh, read or recited just after they would have drank the third glass of wine, which speaks of the salvation of God. And so here he says, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now and in the presence of all his people. I will give testimony. I, I promise you, God, I promise you in my distress, I promise that I will, will praise your name and I will give testimony of what you have done in my life. And this is the vow that he needs to now uh, fulfill. And so he does it. In the presence of the people, he is giving a testimony of God's goodness, God's love to him, and God's care for him, God's power and deliverance in his life. And so this is where he's, he's asking, what should I do? Can I ever pay him back? What do I render unto the Lord for these benefits toward me? You can do nothing. There's no sense. Get out of our heads any sort of sense that this is uh, a payback. I'm going to make a vow and, and it's kind of like you know a bartering system. No, 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 no. There's none of this. There's no paying God back for what he has done. There's no paying him back and, and saying, okay, there, now we're settled and we're even. All right, now I'm going to go on my way. We know where that's going to lead us. If we ever get that notion that I'm settled, it's on my own now. We need God in all of life, all the time. If Psalm 113 says, praise God everywhere at all times. There's never a moment when we can't be focusing the direction of people's looking and their attention onto God. And this is what he's really saying here. That I am going to focus all of the attention. You may look at me and say, wow, you, you, know, you got out of this circumstance. Or you know, there's things in your life that are commendable and so on. And the psalmist is recognizing the only thing that I can do is point people back to God. Take the attention off of myself and put it fully and squarely upon God. And so this is what he does. He says, I will, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Again, in verse 15, he uh, gives us another insight of to who God is. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now, precious, we got to be really careful. And some may think that, that God takes pleasure in the death of a saint. No, absolutely not. That's not what this is saying. This is not saying precious is in, you know, I like this and, and this is something that makes me happy. Precious in the sense that valuable or prized, weighty. That's what precious is. The, the death of his saints is not something that's light to the Lord. The death of the saints is something that's very weighty. And, 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 and we have a much different uh, sense of death or, or a processing of death um, in our, uh, in, in the, I want to say in the Christian mind frame or the worldview, because death for us, even as Paul said, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of torn between, on, on one hand, I want to be with God. On the other hand, I know I have to be here because it's beneficial for the saints. Um, but yet, make no mistake that there is no more sting in death. And then, and there's no victory in death because the victory for me when I die is that I'm going to be with my Lord. That's a really serious thing. But God in his, his heart for his children, it, it's not something flippant. It's not something light. It's a very weighty matter with the Lord when a, 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 a saint dies. And that helps us to understand 
I believe that helps me to understand, I want to say, that it gives me a better insight into who am I before God? Am I insignificant? Am I just like a, a number to the tax man? Or to a, a, a number that comes across somebody's desk as they're processing, you know, thousands of forms of this or that? Or is it precious to the Lord? My life. My life and my death. And his plan, his, his hope, or his, his will for our lives is not flippant. It's not something that he just kind of, you know, well, whatever, do whatever you want, you know, just, just uh, you know, don't hurt anybody or something like that. No, it's important. All of our lives, our living and our death, is precious to him. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. So here the psalmist is saying, I am thy servant. Um, Even as my mother was your servant, uh, so am I. And thou hast loosed my bonds. We'll we'll address this a little bit later, but I want to just finish the rest of the psalm reading. I will offer unto thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows. Okay, this again, we've heard this, right? It's a repeating of this. Um, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of his people, in the courts of the house, the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. So here he also says, um, with the, the sacrifice of thanksgiving, um, it makes reference earlier, and I didn't point this out, but it, it talks about the cup of salvation, and, and these are most likely allusions to the, um, the, the sacrifices that would be offered to the, uh, through the priests for the people, and wine was part of those sacrifices. So this is perhaps making an allusion to that process of the sacrifices of thanksgiving, but also to then what it became for the people, that recognition of, of that, um, these, what those things originally meant are important for the people. So now we have these people of, of uh, reciting this in the Passover. And these are people who themselves have uh, been in great distress, in great turmoil. They have had uh, their nation um, completely destroyed, all of them carried away in, into captivity. And they need to uh, uh, recite this. They need to remember this, that even though all of those things happened, I believe, and therefore I can say, these things. Therefore, I can put my trust in God because I know who my Redeemer is. And I know, uh, as, as Job says, that, uh, that I will stand before Him. And so here that the children of Israel are, are, as they read this collection of Psalms, are, are looking back and praising God for the, the victory that He has given, for the deliverance, for the love that He has for them, for that, and this is so uh, important, for that um, possession that they are to him, the children of Israel. They are his, and he is theirs. Now, I want to put this into the context of us today, because this is extremely important for us to know. Because I, as I read this, and the more I read this, I almost think this is a messianic psalm, although it's not labeled as a messianic psalm, because there's so much points to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that God hears us. We know that today, on this day, 
September, whatever it is, I can't remember now actually. But we know that if I call upon the name of the Lord today, that he will hear me. This is a truth that was true for the, the, the psalmist as he spoke it. This is true every time the, the, the uh, people of Israel would re- recite this during the Passover feast. And this is as true as it is today as it ever was before. And this is something that every person... Now, I'm not talking just about believers who can point back to... But every person, we need to recognize that the God of the universe is the one who hears our, our prayers and he hears the call, um, calling on God. So it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How many of us are, are, are perhaps like the psalmist uh, in anguish? Uh, perhaps we feel the, the, the cords of death almost wrapping around us. Maybe it's a physical addiction. Maybe it's just the recognition that I am dreadfully and completely corrupt and, and a sinner. And I don't know what to do because death gives me great anguish and gives me great fear. Call upon the name of the Lord, it says. For whosoever shall call upon the, the name of the Lord shall be saved. We need to hang on to that. To you who are not uh, believers, who are still at this place where you're struggling, where, where your feet are stumbling, where your eyes are weeping, and where death is all about you. Your life is typified by death. Because there's no life. But it's just the death of this world about us. You need to call upon the name of the Lord. Psalm 18 says this, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Who is that enemy? The biggest enemy that you have right now is death and sin. And you will be delivered by God. Joel, the second chapter of Joel, verse 32, says this, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. As the Lord hath said, in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. When the Lord is calling upon you, when the, Lord, the call of the Lord is, is coming to you and saying, turn unto me, listen to me, I have plans for your life. I want to make you successful in life, not successful materially, but successful in that you have a hope and that your life has meaning and significance. I want to elevate you up to be able to sit with princes. Call upon the Lord. You have this, this wonderful privilege of calling upon the Lord. And, and the, the great hope, and this is the great hope, is that He will incline His ear to you. He won't just brush you off. Like, I, I don't have time for this. Like, I'm busy. You know, Daddy's busy. Don't talk to me right now. He's the one who picks us up and He listens to us. What is it, my baby? What is it, my precious? What do you, what's, what's on your heart right now? This is the God who says, call unto me and I will deliver you. It says in verse 16, Thou hast loosed my bonds. In uh, John chapter 8 verse 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed, it says. The bonds that are holding you. And this is the bonds of sin now that I'm talking about. The bonds that say, uh, you know, because uh, Romans 6 talks about the, the, the dominion, right? There's a dominion, there's a rulership or, or like a, a rule over our lives. And, and for Christians and for non-Christians, right? So the, those who are not the children of God, who is, who is the ruler in your life? And as much as the world may say you're autonomous, you don't have to answer to anybody, there is no God, you are under the dominion of sin. 
And as much as the world is going to tell you that, no, 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 you're your own master and just do as you wish, as long as you don't hurt anybody, blah, 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 blah. You are a sinner and you are under the dominion of sin and you are bound and death is wrapping its cords around you and is pulling you down. And if you don't escape, there is no hope for you. That is the bondage that you have. And and if you don't believe me, think about how often you can go ahead and and, and do the right thing. You're right, you know, we can do the right thing at times, but the heart is deceitful and is wicked. I may be able to polish the outside to be beautiful, but like it says, uh, uh, you know, it's like the, uh, the, the burial tombs. On the outside, gorgeous, white, and and looks very pleasing to the eye. And you may be pleasing to the eye. You may be doing all the right things. But inside, there's death. There's dead bones. There's no life. Scripture's so clear on, on, on what awaits. There's only two. Go into Revelations, and it tells you those whose names were not written, uh, found written in the book of life. The, the judgment pronounced upon those people, upon you, is terrible and frightening and, and not something that anybody would aspire to if they fully appreciated it. And here Jesus is saying, I will break you free because of what I have done. I have gone and given my life. I have uh, paid the sacrifice. The, the penalty of death is, or the penalty of sin is death. And I'm going to go pay the penalty for you. So this really huge debt that you keep adding more and more and more to, I'm going to pay it for you. And not only am I going to pay for you, I'm going to pay it for eternity. But I want you to do something. I want you to trust in me. I want you to believe. I want you to believe in me. I want you to repent. Turn away from that lifestyle. Turn away from from, uh, looking to yourself as the one on the throne. And look only to Jesus. As the only one who can sit on the throne. And believe that what he has done is satisfying, is just. And when it says that the Lord is just, gracious is the Lord and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. Realize that you have an opportunity to have that bondage broken. That you have that opportunity now to be free of the dominion of sin. You see, and you think to yourself, oh, you know, but the human nature, blah, blah, blah. Yes, that's really strong. But you can be free of that. You can actually have that, that, that relationship broken, severed apart. And no longer do you have to. That's so important. To, you don't have to sin then. And as much as you think, oh, but I'm so weak. And yes, you are. You're pathetic, in fact. But you don't have to sin because when you become under the dominion of God, under the rule of, of the righteousness of God and the grace of God, then you are free and you serve a new master. And he, the same spirit who delivered uh, Jesus from the dead, will also quicken your mortal bodies, it says in Romans. Not exactly, but close. The same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead will give you new life. And now you can stand before God on that day of judgment and he will look and there will be your name written in the book of life. And you won't have to be worried about it because I know my name is there. Not because of what I've done, but because I believed. And then, because your name is written there because of what Jesus did, 
we have that, that new Jerusalem to look forward to, that time where we are fully in that beautiful relationship with God, in that, that we are really who we ought to be. Our new names will be uh, revealed to us, and, and heaven, that place that just so fits us, like a hand to a glove, will recognize that then. That's the power of this psalm. The freedom from death. It's not just something that they read at Passover. It's not just something that, you know, we, we relegate to, uh, the Old Testament and nice flowery language. You know, this is beautiful. The poetry in here, um, if, if we had more time, you know, we could look at, you know, the construction of it and all these Psalms, in fact, they're, they're, these were poets. These were, these men, they were not simple people. They were writing very beautiful poems and, and, um, it, it's incredible and, and, I don't have the time to, to go through the, the beauty of the construction of the Psalms and, and the significance. We're way out of time to go into all that sort of stuff. But the thing we need to recognize, as the psalmist says at the beginning, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. You have a, you have a God who wants to hear it. You have a God who is not okay with death. That was never part of the original plan. But he has redeemed it. And he wants to redeem us. And what you're going through, and now this, this I can't speak to. I know what I went through in my life and some of you who I'm close to. But what are you going through now that speaks to the cords of death or that, that feels like cords of death drawing us down, that hopelessness? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an addiction to a, a substance, a chemical. Maybe it's an addiction to a way of thinking. Uh, maybe it is enemies that seem to be attacking. Maybe it's it's the idea of being destroyed, like it says in Second um, uh, Corinthians, being destroyed or or being forsaken, and all these sort of things. Maybe those are the things that are weighing heavy on you. Oh, I implore you. Do not carry it on your own. Look to the God who says, I want to know, I want to hear, and I can deliver. I can take you out of despair and insignificance, and I will sit you with the princes. Let this be the, the God that we consider, and let that be the, uh, the, the hope that you can have. So that as you see God, as you come to know Him more and more and hear the testimony, and this is an important part, brothers and sisters, we need to testify of the goodness of God. We need to be speaking of it as we speak to one another. We need to be speaking and testifying to the, good, the goodness of God, not just between you and God, not just, not just in prayer, but here in this sanctuary. In, in, as we walk with our children on the road, as we, as we converse with the, the person that we're next to at work, whatever it is, as I'm, I'm ordering my coffee, are we testifying of the goodness of God? The psalmist says, I believed, therefore have I spoken. What are we speaking? Are we testifying of the goodness of God? Are we praising God? Hallelujah.